Our camp theme has been like this above all else, this above all thing that we're gonna put Christ above everything. And I, and I know this, that through God's word, he shows me the areas of my life that I need to continue to put him above. I pray that your word would change us. I pray that we would be able to know you better. And God, I pray for conversations about your word and through your word and so that your word would change our very lives. is to be an example in a dark world in what you say, in how you live, in your love, your faith, and purity. A generation needs to see an example before them. Wow, that amazing? I, uh, I watched that uh, in the first service, and I thought, you know, when I grew up in a, in a real small church, we had maybe you know, 10 people, 10 kids, 15 kids in our youth group. And uh, to experience something like that in the summer, there were 1,428 kids uh, that went. And uh, here's what's cool is 285 of them were scholarshiped by you guys, $130,000 worth of scholarships. Uh, that you, that, that's going to change a child's life. That's that you're, you're going to get, you're, you're going to stand for the Lord someday. He's going to say, you didn't even know it, but your investment there changed a life for eternity. And then the ripple effects for that. Uh, speaking of changed lives, a hundred decisions, 97, of course, in pastor speak, that's a hundred, uh, but a uh, hundred, uh, 97 decisions for Christ and just good stuff. Great stuff. Give it up again for those who uh, helped with all of that. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus. Uh, and in fact, if you're in a campus, um, uh, today's a great day uh, to be at Seacoast because people ask me all the time, how do you get connected here? How do you, how do you really feel like you're, you're a part? And uh, we have a process called the Inside Track. Um, it's four weeks, begins today at every campus. Uh, your campus pastor will explain it to you at the end of the message. I want to challenge you. Take a step. Let's, let's get involved. Uh, not just come and experience, but let's uh, let's become a part of the process, and so you can do that. And I want to welcome those of you who are joining us, you know, from wherever you happen to be in the world. I know I was on vacation the last couple of weeks, and uh, we always watched on uh, Sunday morning. And uh, last week, this whole series, we've been in a series, and these guys are doing a great job. and And I knew that Katie Walters was going to speak before me, and I helped her a little bit with her outline, you know. Just a tiny bit she wanted to know. That's kind of what I do is help people kind of frame it up. And, and uh, so I'm sitting down with her on her outline before I went on vacation. I said, Katie, do not kill this because I've got to get up after you do. And people are going to be disappointed. And she just killed it. Would you agree with that? And all of them did. All of them did. Uh, just amazing. And uh, so uh, I get to continue. In fact, I'm going to cap the series. This is going to be it. Uh, we've been in a... Uh, We've been in a series, you know, crazy series here. We started a five-week series at the beginning of the year. It lasted six months, and uh, it was on the Sermon on the Mount. And then this series in the summer, five weeks on one verse. And uh, so I'm going to cap it off, and I want to start it with just kind of an observation uh, and a question. Would you agree with me that one of the hardest things to do in life 
is to wait. Would you agree with that? One of the hardest things to do in life is to wait. Is anybody brave enough to say, I'm waiting right now on something? Yeah. You know, sometimes we wait on God. You know, it feels like we've been waiting on an answer to prayer, just waiting to hear, just waiting to experience something. Sometimes um, we wait when our circumstances are slow. That's difficult. That's hard. We don't like that. We make fun, you know, I mean, just waiting at a stoplight and all that kind of thing. Listen, if you're beeping at the person next ahead of you at a stoplight, you're a Yankee and knock it off, okay? <laughs> we don't do that here. We don't do that here. We just sit and patiently wait. <laughs> How do I know? Because I first moved here and my wife said, do you hear anybody else honking? You know, <laughs> but uh, we wait when we're frustrated with progress and wait on other people. Um, last couple of weeks were great for me. We went on vacation and uh, uh, not only did we go on vacation, but we celebrated 46 years of marriage, 46 years. And... Uh, my girlfriend is with me here today, and uh, she came into the green room before I came out, and I said, you look awesome. She does. She's amazing. She looks great, and I just look, okay? But uh, so, so we're going we're gonna to go on vacation. We're going to go to Maine, right, because it's cool up in Maine. And, uh, but uh, before we go to Maine, we've got to do uh, a board meeting uh, for ARC, the Association of Related Churches, and and uh, of all places, um, our staff chose the board meeting for Dallas, Texas in the summer. It was 113 degrees, 113. We could have been in Minneapolis or in the mountains somewhere, but we go to Dallas, you know. So my attitude starts to do this. And then uh, Deb and I, when that was over, we hopped the plane, we went to Chicago. We had a meeting in Chicago to get to. And, then we go to the Chicago airport. We're going to fly to Maine. Anybody ever been in the Chicago airport? Yeah. Yeah, that's a joy. And, uh, and so, and so, and so I, I could just tell my attitude was slipping a little bit, you know. Debbie and I started talking. The signage. We can't find what we, man, they don't even know how to make signs up. We used to live in that area. Now it's them. They don't know how to make signs up here. You can't get around. And then, you know, we see the, uh, the video screen or whatever it is, the announcement for our flight to Portland, Maine, and it's going to be delayed. I get a little notice on my phone. It's going to be delayed by 10 minutes. Now, if you fly at all, especially this summer, you know that 10 minutes is a crock of baloney because it's just going to keep going and keep going. And then it was 20 minutes. Then it was half an hour. Then it was an hour. Then it was two hours. And then my attitude hit the toilet. That's par for the course for Chicago. Signage is terrible. I can't believe the incompetence. And then finally, my attitude starts to slip onto the never train. Have you ever been on the never train? Deb, we're never going to get to Maine. Never is a demoralizing word, isn't it? We tell ourselves, I'll never find a job. This will never get better. I'll never make the team. I'll never go to college. I'll never get married. We'll never have the child that we desire. I'll never have a relationship with my kids or my grandkids. 
He'll never come home to me. You know what never is? Never is a lie that puts the end to all of our hopes. Would you agree with that? Never says, don't bother to dream. You don't deserve it. Stop wishing for what never could be. You know what the antidote to never is? It's the truth. It's the truth, because it's a lie. The antidote to a lie is always the truth. Never is usually not the final word. Never is often just a not yet. In fact, I think that sometimes never is a symptom of what the Bible calls lazy thinking. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Here's what that verse says. It says that God has promises for you. God has things ahead for you. And it's going to take work to have a good attitude. It's going to take work to be a thermometer rather than just a thermostat. You know what that is? A thermometer sets the temperature in the room. A thermostat just reflects the temperature. And it takes work to set the temperature. It takes work to create the playlist that your life is going to be about not just seeing everybody else's tune. There's a long list in the book of Hero, uh, uh, Hebrews of heroes who didn't give up, who didn't quit, who didn't stay on the never train, who weren't lazy. They inherited the promises of God. And I want to say this to you. God has a promise for you, but it's going to take faith, which is believing that God is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And it's going to take patience. Patience. Now, we're finishing the series called Set the Tone. And uh, we've been studying Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. But here's what I want to do. I'm finishing it out. So I want us to read together here, campuses, wherever you might be uh, watching. I want you to read out loud. There's going to be a verse on the screen. And let's read the, the basis for the series and the passage that I want to look at today. Let's read it together. Therefore, it's like when we read, we make noise. Okay, we, all right? So let's do this. One, two, three. Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's who you are, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I think it's no coincidence that patience is at the last item of the clothing in the list, right? Right? So you ever go to a wedding in Charleston in the summer? That's when they have all weddings, the summer. And they do them outside in Charleston. I love going to your wedding, but if you forget to invite me, I'm okay. All right. <laughs> And so, and so we're, so what happens is I'll go to the closet and Deb's out here, you know, doing her thing and I'll, I'll yell out of the closet, Hey, is this a formal wedding or not? Yeah. Do I have to wear a jacket? Yeah, you have to wear a jacket. Uh, 
I don't have to wear a tie, do I? Yeah, you got to wear a tie. Oh, wow. No socks, though, right? No, the, the wardrobe isn't complete without the socks. And the, Paul, the writer of Colossians, says the wardrobe of your attitude and in life is not complete until I put the patience on. Until I put the patience on. That's, it's not complete until you put patience on. So when do I most need to clothe myself with patience when I find myself waiting? And listen, nobody likes delays in life. Let's, let's not pretend like we're perfect and you, you do it better than everybody else. I don't either. I want to get better because it helps my attitude. And my attitude determines the kind of life I'm going to live. But we all, listen, it's human to feel frustrated. It's human to feel anxious when hours throw off our plans, like mine did in Chicago. It might not seem like a big deal, but we get anxious about it. We get frustrated about it. And when days and weeks of uncertainty while we're waiting on answers, we get frustrated. And sometimes there are years that we spend wondering if God will ever fulfill his promises toward us. Like David, we might cry out. You know, I love the heroes of the Bible because they're normal and they're human. And this David, this great mighty warrior, this man who wrote so many, you know, songs that we sing. And, and even him, look at, look at what he says in Psalm 13.1. He says, oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Some of you, some of you felt that exact same thing this week. How long, God? Where are you? For some of us, this really is a hard season. Like David, there, there's a lot of pain while you're waiting, and you feel like God has forgotten you, and you, you know, it's like, God, why me? Am, am I this bad? Have I been this insignificant or bad that you would forget me? And your attitude's slipping closer and closer to the never train. Somebody said that patience is not just the ability to wait, but it's the ability to keep a good attitude while you're waiting. Would you agree with that? So the rest of this message, I'm going to talk about how. How do I keep, what does the Bible say about how to keep a good attitude while you're waiting on answers from God, while you're waiting on situations and circumstances, while you're waiting on other people? How do you keep a good attitude? There's three things to remember. First thing is this, remember that God is with you. That seems so foundational. But when you're in a season of waiting, Sometimes it feels like God has abandoned you. And, and like David, it, you, you cry out, where are you, God? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like God was so distant? You know, uh, about a year and a half ago, we started a retreat center uh, in Johns Island uh, for leaders and specifically for pastors because uh, pastors are, are, are under... Uh, a lot of stress right now. So are you. So, so is a lot of people. But um, I, I was reading um, a, uh, a survey by the Barna Company that does a lot of surveys about religious life and stuff. They were, they've done surveys about pastors, and, and they warned us 
In 2019, there, there is an epidemic coming of burned out, discouraged pastors. They didn't even know about COVID, okay? But already they, they were doing surveys and they could tell from, you know, 2005, 2010, 2015, 2018, they did one, that, um, that it's, it's getting more and more stressful than COVID came. And they came out with a survey just a few months ago that said that 42% of all pastors would quit if they could, right? Yeah, would quit. I thought about that. I thought, my goodness. Okay, think about the church five years from now. What does that mean? What does that say? We're in crisis mode, crisis mode. Um, you know, there are a lot of denominations that can't fill pulpits now. And as leadership goes, so goes the church. And that's one of the reasons why we developed a retreat center. We brought in uh, over 700 pastors in 18 months. And a lot of you, yeah. And a lot of you have supported that with your giving and volunteering and that type thing. And, and then I just read, a, while I was on vacation, I read a study from Boston University. They're, they're going to do an in-depth study. But here's what they said initially. One of their psychologists at the university said that, um, that the, 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 let me read it to get it right, that um, the, the, the PTSD symptoms in pastors right now, because of COVID and leadership, all the things that have gone on, is as high or higher than those who return from combat. How can that be? But I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. And so uh, one of the guys was a guy named Chris, and he came in a, few months ago, not too, not too long ago, three or four months. And he, th this guy was just shaking. He couldn't even communicate, couldn't sleep. Coming through a tough season, church wasn't doing well, COVID hit, and then his wife left him. And he hadn't slept in weeks, literally shaking at the table. We go, we go around and we do highs and lows. This guy couldn't even communicate. A friend had sponsored him and said, can he come? He needs it desperately. As I looked at him, I, I, I wondered, I, I don't know if anything's going to help this week. I pulled him aside. He felt abandoned by people, and he felt abandoned by God. You know, trauma and waiting can do that. So what is the answer to David's cry, to Chris's cry, to your cry when you say, God, where are you? Where is God while you're waiting? Let me give you some ideas about what the Bible says. First, the Bible says he's with you. He is with you. Look at Psalm 23 and verse 4. David wrote this and he said, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They will comfort me. He says, Though I walk through the valley, and the valley he's talking about in context uh, was the valley where he met the Goliath, the, gi the giant. And, you know, I would just imagine that when he first got the idea, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, you know, be a hero for our country. I'm going to go deal with this guy. The adrenaline, great idea. This is something new. I know I can do this. But when you get to walking it out, have you ever been where the adrenaline goes away and you wonder what in the world was I thinking? Some of you are there right now. He's walking through the valley and there's just, self-doubt, and there's all this kind of stuff. And he says, you know what? God is with me. 
Now, when did God start being with him? Was it when he said he was? No, God was with him the whole time. He didn't realize it, but it didn't do him a lot of good until he recognized himself. He said, God is with me. And suddenly it flooded him with peace. How do I know that? Because I've been there. I think it would be good right now if each one of us would just close your eyes, just close your eyes. Because a lot of you are, this is a message that is going to apply to a lot of people. And if it doesn't apply now, it'll apply later. I'm sorry. But you're waiting. And why don't you just say this out loud together right now? God is with me. Let's say it again. God is with me. Where is God when you're waiting? God is with you. And sometimes it's just good to remind yourself of that. Let me tell you another thing that he's doing. God is working for you while you're waiting. Look at Isaiah 64 and verse 4. It says, for since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who does what? Who works for who? For those who wait for him. While you're waiting, God is with you. But not only that, he is at work. What's he working on? Your character. It's one thing. It says you can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. How many of you have experienced God's timing? Just the right time. We're waiting and we're thinking, it's time, God. It's time. It's time, God. I know it's time. And God is going, no, it's not quite time. Because I've got some things for you that your character can't carry right now. And I want to develop in you some, some resilience, some, some, some stuff that you need for the thing that I've got for you. And at just the right time, God shows up. So God, God's working on our character, and he's also working on our circumstances. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that all things are good because they're not. You have an enemy. We have an enemy. I'll talk about him in just a minute. That's very, very real. Not everything that happens at your job, not everything that happens in your family is good. It's not. But God says, even in those things, I will work for my glory and your good. Even in those things, you will see the goodness of God. God is at work in your circumstance. That's why I think, and I'd love to preach this, and you guys have heard me preach this before, but be really, really slow to put a good or bad tag on something that happens because you don't know. And even if it is bad, God works for his good. Amen? So God is at work. So Chris, let's go back to Chris. We left him shaking at the table. And I, I could tell that there were some things going on, and I also could see that there were some guys that Chris had never met. This is what's cool about the retreat center. You'll get 
13, 15, 16 pastors in there and they don't know each other. And it, it, by, by the second night, they're a band of brothers. And Chris's sponsor, who was not there, sent me this this week. He said, I thought it would be good to celebrate what God has done. Chris and his wife, and he gives her name, have been back together for two months now. God really used the retreat and the relationships he formed to help restore their marriage. And when I got that, here's what I thought. First thing I thought was this. A song we sing, Waymaker. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Why? Because you are the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that's who you are. That's who you are. And that's what God is doing while you're waiting. God is working. And that's the tune that you need to be singing because you have a reward coming. It says, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need right now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all, say all together. That means everything. All that he has promised. Remember, while you're waiting, God is there and God is at work. Let me give you a second thing to remember. This is a war. You need to remember that this is a war. You have a very real enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. That sounds scary. Well, it should. Because you have an enemy that doesn't want you to succeed in any area of your life. But if we know the enemy's strategy, we can deal with it. But what is his strategy? Next verse. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down, and, and they do. It doesn't say they might. They do knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. See, the enemy's strategy is to attack your mind through your thoughts. And the time that you are most vulnerable to the enemy, I believe, is while you're waiting. While, 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 you're, while, while you're, the, the, you're, you're especially vulnerable when something is delayed in your life. See, your enemy will plant lies. Because that's what he has, his thoughts, thoughts. He'll plant lies. That's not your thoughts. It's his thoughts. You don't have to think them, but we do. And we claim them as our own. Um, the never lies. I'll never be happy. I'll never get a job. This will never, 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 never. That never train I talked about earlier. There are the FOMO lies. You know what FOMO is? Fear of missing out, right? And boy, when you're waiting, you're afraid you're missing something. I'm missing opportunities, you know? I'm missing this. And so here's what we do. When we buy into the FOMO lies, we try to force things. We make bad choices instead of patiently waiting. The proverb says, not the Proverbs, but it's a proverb. It says, one moment of patience may ward off great disaster, 
One moment of impatience may ruin a whole life. And don't try to force things to happen while you're waiting. Count on God's wisdom to protect you, to protect you, okay? So what's your strategy against the enemy? He has a strategy, and it's your thought life to get you to think things and ruin your, your life because as a man thinks, so is he, the Bible says. So what's your strategy? Recognize that, number one. Recognize the enemy. And then secondly, resist. I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to live there, but that's not enough. We've got to replace. We've got to replace those thoughts with the truth of God's word. I'm going to teach you something that I've been learning this summer. This is fresh for me. It's been good. I want you to, I want you to learn it too, all right? Uh, it's a philosophy of two fingers. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your thumb and your forefinger and put it up like this. No, it's not loser. Okay, I want you to put it up here. Got it? Spread it apart as far as you can. Spread it apart as far as you can. All right, you got it? Happiness is the distance between your thumb and your forefinger, all right? Your thumb represents the moment something unfortunate happens. The airplane gets delayed. The bad news is delivered. The delay is extended. The thumb represents that. The forefinger represents the moment you can accept the event and move on. Thumb, something bad happens. There's a delay. Forefinger, it's all right. I'm going to make it. We're going to move on. All right. So the shorter the distance between your thumb and your forefinger, between the disappointment and acceptance, between the unfortunate event and making the best of it, the shorter the distance, the happier and more successful your life can be. All right? So some of you, you're not going to remember anything else about this message, but you're going to remember this, and you're going to say, I know there was something important there, but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> Shorten the distance. Shorten the distance. Change your thinking. you got to change the way. This isn't the end for me. Replace those never things with the truth. This isn't the end. This is the beginning of a new opportunity. I'm not alone. God is with me. This isn't wasted time. God is developing my character. I'm not missing out on opportunities. I'm being protected from potential problems. Shorten the distance between disappointment and acceptance by recognizing your enemy, resisting his attack, replacing lies with the truth. Does that make sense? One more thing. Remember to be thankful. While you're waiting, God's with you. God is at work. You have an enemy. Be thankful. Gratitude is your most effective weapon while waiting. I really do believe that. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18 says, be thankful most of the time. That's a revised substandard perversion. That's not God's will. It says, be thankful when? In all circumstances. While you're waiting, in the midst of your waiting, this is the weapon that will boom, that will boom. It will destroy that never thing. It will destroy the, the, the lazy thinking. In the midst of everything, be thankful. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So let's go back to Chicago. So I'm sitting there, and Debbie can testify to this. My attitude's drifting. 
And I'm drifting into Neverland, you know. And then I remembered, wait, I really did. In fact, I Googled this stuff at the time, what I was thinking. I remember, I am getting ready to get on a piece of metal held together by rivets that weighs 175,000 pounds. That's 85 tons for those of you keeping score at home. I'm getting ready to get on this thing that because of the miracle of thrust and jet propulsion and lift will carry me a distance that would have taken the children of Israel one month to walk in less than two hours. I will be staying in a home that costs me nothing. I will be enjoying lobster by the water in temperatures of 75 degrees while my friends in Charleston will be experiencing something akin to the furnaces of hell in July. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on. That's the truth. Gratitude gives perspective waiting. Gratitude helps replace the lies that the enemy plants with the truth. You are blessed. You are blessed. And don't ever stop talking about it. So church, let's don't get lazy. I'm tired. That was hard. <laughs> Hebrews 6.12 We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and what? Patience inherit what has been promised. Faith is believing that God exists, that he is good, that he is not, that he is for you and not against you. Patience is knowing that you are not alone, that you are not missing out on anything, that you will combat the enemy lies with gratitude. And God's promise is eternal life here and forevermore. Every once in a while, somebody says to me, why is it so hard to be a Christian? Why is it so hard? You know, it's so hard to do the right thing all the time. It's so hard to forgive people who've hurt me. It's hard to keep a good attitude at work when my boss is unfair. It's hard to be nice to people who aren't nice to me. It's so hard to overcome the temptations I face every day. It's hard to wait patiently when I'm in a hurry. Life is so hard. Really? Let me tell you the truth. It's harder to live with no hope, peace, or joy. It's hard to be angry all the time and live with bitterness and unforgiveness. It's hard to be miserable and anxious all the time. It's hard to live with the consequences of poor choices that were made because we lack patience. I want to tell you something. That's hard. That's hard. That's hard. Let's go back to the first verse, the verse of this series. It says to clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. There God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness. And don't forget that last one. Might be a difficult one, but really it's not that hard. Because if you don't, life will be hard. How's that look? Look all right? Patience. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how you work in all of our lives. Thank you that you are a right on time, God. And Lord, today we bring our impatience to you. And there's some very real things. And we've laughed about some stuff, God, but you know how serious some of this is to our lives. 
Help us to remember that you're with us, that you're working for us, that you're greater than our enemy, that you have rewards at the end of the day. God, help us to be grateful. Lord, I pray that your kingdom will come and your will will be done in this house. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's get that coat off. So, singing about response time this morning, and uh, we t- always take just a few minutes at the end of the message, and we respond. You know, the reason I had to do this is Josh Walters came out as Mr. Rogers. Can you believe that? I had to do something. If you didn't see that one, go back and see it. How do you respond? Let me tell you how I would respond. My first response would be to whisper a prayer to God and say, I submit my life to you. I want to live with you rather than without you. Let's sing about that in the last service. How different my life would be apart from Jesus. I mean, I'm all excited about the afterlife. I really am. But I'm very excited about the life here. I really am. Jesus promised that he would give us life and life more abundantly. And that has very little to do with things. If you need things, I believe that he supplies those. But I thought about my life. And I thought about the time when I wasn't following Jesus. And I thought about some of my friends who never really put their faith in God and let him drive their lives. And I contrasted the life I'm living with the life I could have lived. And uh, wow, I had all the questions. I mean, you know, people are all worried about people de- deconstructing their faith and you know, people, you know, the, the, uh, those that don't believe rising and all of this. I was there. I was raised in a preacher's home. But it was the 70s. The Beatles were teaching us how to, well, it was the 60s. The Beatles were teaching us how to reject. John Lennon said God is dead, you know, and Eastern religion and music was going all kind of crazy ways. And I was following that stuff. And what I found out is that there is no life apart from Jesus. And I have friends that lived a long time. Some of my friends are starting to face eternity now. They lived a long time chasing after other things and rejecting God. I'm grateful to God that I just said, God, I don't understand it all. I still don't understand it all. Don't worry about that. I was doing my own personal Bible study as recent as this morning. And I came across a verse that I did not understand and it was confusing to me. I took a red highlighter and highlighted that in my U version and said, okay, now here's what I know. I don't have the arrogance to believe that I know more than God. So apparently there's something I'm not getting right. I'm gonna set that aside and talk to him about that either here or in eternity, but I'm not gonna let it keep me from experiencing the life that God has for me. And I wanna challenge you today here, campuses, wherever you have to be. First step, 
Say, I want to walk with you. I want your life, God. Let's whisper a prayer. Become a part of the family of God. Others of us, we're going to go to the crosses and we're going to put things that we're waiting on that are frustrating to us. We're going to put them on the cross. And we're going to walk away realizing and knowing that God is with us. And you're going to say that as you walk away. And you're going to say that as you walk out of this building. God, you are with me. You are at work on my situation. And I'm going to make a divine exchange, your, your peace for my problem. Others of us, we're going to go to a candle. We're going to pray for somebody that we really care about. Some of us need to have somebody pray for us. We'll have prayer teams here today. We're going to receive communion together. We're going to go to the offering boxes or online, and we're going to give generously a portion of what God has given to us. We're going to stand and sing and celebrate an awesome God who loves us more than we know. Here's what I want to ask you. What is God saying to you, and how are you going to respond to him? Let's respond together.